Welcome to the Compass Christian Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. For more information, visit us at compasslu.org. Well, good morning, church. Good morning. Well, today we continue our excursion through this book of Ephesians. So, we're going to, before we do, we got our, uh, we're going to have our four themes up there. want to remind everyone the, uh, the four themes we've been seeing throughout this book. Um, first one is that it's community-oriented versus individualistic. And that reminder that um, when Paul wrote this um, epistle 2,000-odd years ago, um, it was a whole different culture, other side of the world, and it was very much more community-oriented. And as a result, when we read through this, we've been, uh, when we see the word you, we've been reading it as y'all which for those of us that are from this area, that's very, uh, very familiar. It's also a, uh, shows a new creation and new order of things in Jesus, the kingdom of God in Ephesians. We've been seeing unity in Christ, uh, Jew and Gentile, and unity between heaven and earth. And the fourth point or the fourth thing we're seeing is the division or battle with the powers of the world. And that's something we're going to dive into today. So... In Ephesians, um, a couple things I wanted to point out before we dive into this. That God Almighty desires that His people be strong. And He desires for them to be strong in all categories of life. Physically, mentally, and spiritually. Now physically, that's a study unto itself, and we're not going to dive into that at all today. Mentally... um, you know, it's important for us to be sharp up here, to be able to realize and see what's going on and to be able to react with, with what God says. And that we have to have a love and a passion for God and need to have a clear understanding of what His Word says to be able to do so. And finally, it, he, he wants for us to be strong spiritually, and we're really going to take a look at that today. That uh, it's in this category that we really carry out His will and His purposes in this life. Also, something to consider, he has absolutely enabled and empowered his children to successfully carry out his will in our day and time, which includes following the Lord Jesus Christ. And also something we're going to see is that we do have a spiritual adversary, an enemy. Um, And this enemy is very active in its influence of people and events in this world. This enemy is evil always, and is powerful, and is defeated. And he was defeated 2,000 odd years ago by our Lord Jesus Christ. So in Ephesians chapter 10, we're going to start in our section here. We're going to be reading through verse 18a. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for y'all's feet, 
having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which, which, with which y'all can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. And we're going to stop there, and Will's going to handle the rest of that next week. So let's go back and start taking a look at some of these aspects. Back in verse 10. It starts out with finally. It's an interesting word. And one of the ways it can be looked at is furthermore, or henceforth. But I was thinking about this. Why did God put this here? Why did Paul, why did God have Paul put this here at this end of Ephesians? There's quite a few truths that he handled before this. And I wanted to go through some of these. Now, this is not an exhaustive list by any means. But see, Paul reaches this concluding point after all these preceding truths that he shared with these saints in Ephesus. And these truths are both doctrine, doctrine uh, doctrinal and practical. He said, he told them previously that they were blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing. He shared with them that God's ultimate plan includes uniting all things in Christ, both in heaven and on earth. He told them that they have been sealed with Holy Spirit, which is a guarantee of their inheritance. He told them that these people, these believers, who were once dead, D-E-A-D, dead, absolutely dead in trespasses and sins, and who once followed the prince of the power of the devil, prince of the power of the air, the devil, that these people are now alive together with Christ. He told them by God's grace they were saved, not by their own works. He shared that Jew and Gentile were brought together in Christ, forming a new creation. He told them that they now have access unto the Father, not before, it's now. He told them that collectively they are being built together unto a holy temple, a dwelling place for God. He told them that the believing Gentiles will be fellow heirs with the believing Jews, and both will be part of that same body. They were urged to walk in a manner worthy of their calling. He told them that God, by way of Christ, provided apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers to help strengthen and lead this new body. They were warned not to remain immature children. These children are easily tossed to and fro by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. That means they are easily distracted, led astray, caused to follow lies. But rather, instead of that, they were to grow up into Christ. They were to change the way they walked. And that doesn't mean the way they stroll down the street, you know, instead of, you know, saunter in a different manner. No, this, this walk, it means the way they conducted their lives, the way they thought, the way they spoke, the actions that they took. But as Jerry shared here a couple weeks ago, to put off the old and put on the new. Remember, throwing his jacket in the garbage can there? You know, you put off the old stuff. They were to speak the truth with one another. He addressed, you know, the thief. Quit stealing. You know, just go to work that you may have to give. They were to speak words to build others up that were edify. 
They were to imitate God as beloved children. They were to walk in love. They were to walk as children of light. And they were to walk with wisdom. They were to submit to each other. We spent some time here in the past weeks with that. And they were to serve in all relationships of life, which include their marriages, the parent-child relationship, and in their culture 2,000 years ago, yes, in the slave-owner relationship. But he was setting these things. These, Paul spent all this time previously in Ephesians setting these new standards for life. So all these things are leading up to this point where he says, finally. It goes on. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. This word strong means to be empowered or to increase in strength. And Lynn Kohick and Clinton Arnold both, in each of their respective uh, um, commentaries on the New Testament, both say that this is a command. This isn't a request. It's a command. And it's a command of God, literally. So to be strong and in the strength of his might. Lynn Kohick goes on regarding this phrase, the passive, which she says, the passive voice of the imperative, be strong, points to the strength that comes from the Lord, and not from the believer or from the church. It's a strength that comes and emanates from outside of yourself. And it goes on, it says, and in the strength of his might, see, it's not our own reservoir of strength, which is limited. I don't know about you, but mine is very limited. <laughs> So it's this reservoir of strength that sustains and empowers us. And in Ephesians um, 1, just a quick example here of this strength. In Ephesians 1, this is something we read a number of weeks ago, but uh, verse 19 and 20. And it says, What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So this is an example of the strength and the reservoir strength that we have available to us. The same strength and ability that raised Christ from the dead and seated him far above the heavenlies is the strength in a, um, that we have available to us. So that's a pretty good amount of strength. So Albert Barnes and his... Uh, commentary on the New Testament, his notes on the New Testament, writes this regarding this phrase, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. And that's, I guess that's from the King James, finally, my brethren. But it says, he wrote, Paul had now stated to the Ephesians the duties which they were to perform. He had considered the various relations of life which they sustained and the obligations resulting from them. He was not unaware that in the discharge of their duties, they would need strength from above. He knew that they had great and mighty foes, and that to meet them, they needed to be clothed in the panoply of the Christian soldier. He closes, therefore, by exhorting them to put on all the strength which they could to meet the enemies with which they had to contend. And in the commencement of his exhortation, he reminds them that it was only by the strength of the Lord that they could hope for victory. To be strong in the Lord is, one, to be strong or courageous in his cause, not our own. And two, <clears throat> to feel or believe that he is our strength and to rely on him and his promises. 
And this word panoply, uh, it threw me a little bit when I read it. It's like, I don't really know what that means. So <laughs> I looked it up. So I provided that definition up there. It's a, it means, according to dictionary.com, it's a wide-ranging and impressive display or uh, array or display. It also means a complete suit of armor. So that's pretty cool. That this complete suit of armor is what we're to put on in life. Back to Ephesians 6.11. So these, well, let me read this first. Ephesians 6.11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Well, if it says put on the whole armor of God in order that, putting on partial armor serve us well? No. It's, it's this complete suit that enables us to stand. It says to stand against the schemes of the devil. Well, that's interesting. This, uh, I wanted to go to a different section of Scripture here just to uh, dive into this a little bit, this concept. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, paints a little bigger picture for us. It says, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. So collectively, we as a body, we as a family, we as a household, collectively, we can be aware. We can avoid this pitfall to be outwitted by Satan. This word design here in uh, 2 Corinthians 11 it literally means his mind, his thinking, his thoughts the adversary, the devil, that we collectively as a group, as a body, can, can see and understand what he's going after, what his plans are. For any of the, I know we have uh, people in here that have served in the military. If you're going to defeat an enemy, one of the great assets or one of the great things you can have going for you is to know their plans, your enemy's plans, and to be able to plan accordingly to counteract to offset those plans. That type of information is invaluable. Well, here in the Word, it says that we are not going to be outwitted by Satan because we, it's available for us to know his plans. See, we are to collectively stand against a formidable enemy. This enemy desires to steal, kill, and destroy. The Lord Jesus Christ said that himself. And this happens in and among God's people, where we allow it. See, we are instructed to take a stand against the devil. We are not instructed to take a stand against the devil himself, but against his plans, against his schemes, his strategies, what he wants to see come to pass in this world. Back in Ephesians, back to our text, it goes on and says, put on the whole armor of God. So, I've got a picture that's coming up here. And I thought about this. When you have a suit of armor or a uniform such as this, I thought about this. That these two teams on here, this is not armor, but it is protective equipment. But it identifies who you stand with, who your team stands with, who your, who your team is, who you stand with. 
So among other things, this armor of God would help identify you with the Lord Jesus Christ. It, in, in ancient times, the, the armor that these, uh, these warriors of old would have, this, this armor quite frequently would have markings, insignias, colors, that, where they would identify the king that they served or the kingdom that they, they stood with. Likewise, in our day and time, this armor of God, it will help identify us with the Lord Jesus Christ as we walk out on this. I'm reminded that um, Jesus Christ himself said that when these, he taught his disciples that when they love one another, they would stand out. By this, all men shall know that, you know, that they, they stand with the Lord Jesus by their love for one another. It's likewise in our day and time. Move on. Verse 12. says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is a fun section. It's a, this phrase, flesh and blood, um, Paul handled previously back in uh, chapter one, where he was talking about um, that the Lord Jesus Christ is seated far above all powers, all rulers and authorities. That the Lord Jesus Christ, because he conquered all, he's, he's head and shoulders and feet above all these um, powers that are at work in our world. This phrase, cosmic... <clears throat> against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Um, that is one word in the Greek. Um, it's interesting because it's never used anywhere else in the word. This is a singular usage. And this word is also used, that, that particular Greek word is used in uh, secular writings, Greek. Um, but it's in reference to um, pagan gods. So I would imagine that when when the, the believers of Ephesus read this, that they would have been somewhat familiar with this word and that there are spiritual powers at work in this world. And there is, there are. And this phrase, this last phrase, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, um, it's emphasizing that these adversarial forces are at work both on heaven, in heaven, and on this earth. But we take comfort, we take strength that our Lord Jesus Christ, our captain of our salvation, our boss, has already defeated all these things. Paul was writing to an audience that lived in a culture saturated in idolatry. These people here in that, in that town of Ephesus the whole town, they worshiped and served false gods, multiple gods, and one of which we'll see here in a moment. And these false gods are basically just false fronts of the devil. In our world, we do have spiritual forces, evil spiritual forces at work, functioning, manipulating, bringing things to pass. Paul is writing to these people to, to warn them and to, to let them know 
that these spiritual forces of evil, while powerful, are no match for the word that spoke on the lips of a believing man or woman and that carry out God's purposes in this world. In Acts 19, um, there's some, this is a record where in Acts 19 where Paul journeys to the, the city of Ephesus and he spends some time there. And a number of uh, things happened here that I wanted to touch on a few things. It said, it says that Paul in this town of Ephesus taught the kingdom of God in the local synagogue for about three months. He spent about three months there in the local synagogue preaching, teaching, reasoning, um, logically uh, presenting scripture and the truths to these people there that wanted to hear this message. Well, after about this three-month time, uh, it says that uh, unbelieving people rose up, started speaking against him, and really caused a pretty big stink about it. And it got to a point where Paul said, fine, I'm out of here. Um, he went to this place called the, the school or the hall, hall of Tyrannus. He took with him, he said, he basically told him, hey, anybody wants to hear what I have to say? Let's go over there. And he took the disciples with him and he continued speaking there. And it said he spent about two years there doing that. So we have a two, period of two years, three months minimum that Paul's in this town preaching and teaching. So Paul was very familiar with these believers there, the culture there, um, and so on. And this happened, this record in Acts 19, it happened before he wrote this epistle of Ephesians. And it goes on, it says, Paul did extraordinary miracles there. Not just any old miracle, just any old plain base model miracle. I can't hand me that. He did extraordinary. I, I just love that. that it's, it's like, isn't every miracle extraordinary? But, but this is a section, if you remember, if those familiar with this, about the seven sons of Sceva. Sceva was a uh, Jewish high priest there. And uh, it's a pretty amusing record. If you're not familiar with it, I encourage you to take a few minutes and read it. It's fun. The phrase, Jesus I know, I've ran into him. Paul I know, I've heard of him. Who are you? So it's funny. This is also the section where it talks about Demetrius, the silversmith, and his uh, like um, uh, craftsman. And when there in Ephesus, when as a result of Paul and the people that heeded the things that Paul taught, they started turning away from these false idols, away from these false gods. They started turning and following the Lord Jesus Christ. And as a result, the local economy suffered an impact. And the impact was you had less people buying these shrines, these uh, amulets. But as a result of that, you had... Uh, ended up a, a riot there in, in uh, Ephesus, and it went on uh, for hours. And you had a situation where uh, it was pretty uh, high tent, you know, uh, pretty tense, pretty, uh, and Paul at one point desired to go into this um, 
area, the theater where this was going on. This, these people were riding, and for two hours they chanted, "Great is Diana or Artemis," and you know it's Diana in the King James, but this this God, greatest Artemis of the Ephesians, and went on. They chanted this for like two hours. Then you had this um, calls him a town clerk. I would I kind of think of him as like the mayor. But this, this official went in and he basically calmed them all down. He said, you know, uh, y'all better cut it out or we're going to get in trouble. Uh, reminds me of what Will was teaching here recently about the, uh, the Romans. They valued highly uh, orderliness within, within the structure of the, uh, uh, of the society. He diffused this, uh, this uh, town clerk diffused the situation. See, all these things are going on. In this this uh, in this town, and because scripture, because people are turning to the true God. Back in uh, Ephesians, you know our opinion or our viewpoint of these things that Paul has written here in uh, chapter six don't really change the situation. Whether we want, want it to or not, it doesn't matter. There is a, a spirit entity, entities at work in this world that are evil, that desire negative things for people in general, but especially for people that love the Lord Jesus Christ, especially for individuals that claim God as their father, especially for the individuals that want to do the works of Jesus Christ in this world. In Ephesians, Paul contrasts the struggle of life, which, you know, contrasts struggles of life, people, and events in the world versus the spiritual, what's behind the scenes. He talks about flesh and blood. Flesh and blood is what we can see. What we can see with our eyes, Kind of, you know, we're all flesh and blood in this room and online. But Paul's telling them that the true challenges of life are not the flesh and blood. It's not that dude across the, across the street from you. It's not the dude that you work next to. It's a spiritual enemy behind the scenes that's moving and functioning in life. A couple other places in the Word that uh, I want to mention, they're not going to be up on the slide here, but See, the devil considers God's people to be his enemies and desires to trick and afflict them. Gospel of John 10, chapter 10, the Lord Jesus Christ talked about that. It says in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light to deceive the very believers. He tries. It says that in 2 Corinthians 4, it says this spiritual enemy is called the God of this world. And he has blinded the minds of those that refuse to believe. So this enemy is very much at work. He has abilities. He has strengths. He has methods that he's honed over the centuries to deceive and to afflict people. Another place I wanted to go, in 1 Peter. In this letter that uh, Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. It says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Those are good admonitions. 
Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So once again, another aspect of this enemy, he roars. He, he, he tries to frighten people, tries to confuse people. Well, for an individual that has, is focused on God, for an individual that is focused on what the Lord Jesus Christ has accomplished in this world, well, that's not an easy person to confuse. That's not an easy person to frighten. The next phrase goes on, says, resist him. Well, that's kind of like standing against, isn't it? We're to resist this enemy. We're not to cave in. We're not to go along with. We're to resist. In James, we'll see this one more place here. Oop. I'll get that later. James chapter 4, verse 7. It says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will do what? Flee. He'll run away. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. So I love this, because bookended with resisting is we're drawing near to God. We submit ourselves to God, and we draw near. It says when we draw near to God, does he avoid us? No, you cannot come to God faster than he comes to you. I guarantee you, if you're drawn near to God, he's coming at you faster than you are. So I'm reminded quite often when you see your little children, when they learn to walk, and quite often they'll, be, they'll walk towards their parents. And what an exciting thing that is. But if you see a little picture, a little child just running to a parent and that parent just moving to that kid to grab him, just hug on him. That's the mind picture I get with that. But I love it also. It says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. When, it, when it, we resist with the strength of the word, this enemy who's formidable, he's strong, he has abilities, he's smart, but this enemy has no choice but to flee. We back him off. Back in Ephesians. Verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. So we're admonished for the second time to take up the whole armor of God. This is a re reoccurring theme here in this section, if you haven't noticed. Take up the armor, stand. It says so that we can withstand in the evil day. Well, when is this evil day? Eh, today. <laughs> if you haven't noticed, there's some amount of evil in this world, if you haven't noticed. <laughs> but it says that we're to stand. Now, one day, in, one day in the future, someone prayed about that earlier, that what, what, what thankfulness we have in our hearts, that that's part of our hope, that one day in the future, that there will be no evil. But right now, there is. So we have to deal with it. We have to, uh, at times, stand against it. And it goes on, and it says, having done all, to stand firm. 
we've got a picture coming up here. When I think about this, um, standing firm, think about this ship on rough seas and what it's like. This ship on the rough seas, I've not been out on a ship like this. I imagine there's some people that have. When, you know, when the seas are calm and just a little bit of wave going, eh, pretty easy. If you're work, working in that, walking on that ship or whatever. But when the seas get a little rough, get a little rougher, that boat has to labor to move through the water. And if you're on the deck of that boat trying to get something done, you got a job to do, it makes your job a little harder to do. At times in life, that's what our life is like. Maybe it's a, it's, a, it's a day of calm seas, praise God. Other times, we may have some rough seas that we're dealing with in life. But with the power of God and the strength of His Word and his, that He provides for us, we can overcome. We can get the job done, even in the rough seas. It says that we're to stand firm. That means no wavering, no doubt, that we're fully committed and all in that we stand with this true God. Verse 14. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And Lynn Kohick, in her work on uh, her commentary on the New Testament, she writes, Paul sets forth a description of the parts of armor that believers wear as they stand fast. Each item of the armor represents a virtue or an aspect of faithful discipleship. The overall picture is of a defensive posture maintaining what has already been won in Christ. It is a portrayal of corporate solidarity as believers stand as one body clothed in God's armor. She writes further, Paul imagines believers fully dressed in the armor of God, now standing attentive and watchful, confident in the knowledge that they are strong in the Lord's might, not in their own strength or tactics. And I thought that was a great um, summation of this section. But I want to take a minute, a couple minutes here, and just touch on a few of these things. Each of these aspects, you could spend a great deal of time on working through. And, uh, and we don't have time for that this morning. But this first phrase, having fastened on the belt of truth. And I've thought about that. What is truth? Scripture, the Lord Jesus Christ said it himself. He said, uh, he said, thy word, God's word is truth. Truth allows us to recognize, to identify, and therefore defeat the lies of our enemy. This enemy that's against us, he does lie. Shocker. <laughs> but when we, um, when we build a foundation, a bedrock, as it were, of just broad and deep knowledge of Scripture, it helps us to develop and build confidence in God's faithfulness and trustworthiness. So I put to you that a, a deep and broad knowledge of God's word 
is part of this armor of God. It helps protect our minds and our lives from the attacks of this enemy. When I read about the breastplate of righteousness, think about breastplate and the, the armor of old was a defensive armament. Now think about how God has given us um, this word and it is God, literally God breathed. It says in 2 Timothy and it, it's among other things so that we can live righteously, that we can make wise choices. This readiness, this phrase readiness given by the gospel of peace, having put on your shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. I thought that was kind of funny that uh, in a midst of armament that it's talking about the gospel of peace. But this preparation that we can do, uh, it allows us to move with precision and power in life. In First uh, Peter, it, it, it says in part, in chapter 3, it says, Be ready always to give an answer to him that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you. So it says to be ready. Someone asks you, why do you believe what you believe? All right, let me tell you. But this readiness or preparation of the gospel of peace, it'll, it, uh, it allows us to move. It allows us to function in life. Goes on and talks about the um, the shield of faith. This shield, once again, is a defensive uh, armament, but it's our responsibility to use it, with which we can extinguish these um, fiery darts, flaming darts. And these are quite often are words or, or uh, ideas that come at us. Sometimes they come out of the blue. You ever notice that? Sometimes just things come at you in life. And it, it can, sometimes it's hurtful. Sometimes it's just flat out wrong. Sometimes it just kind of just seems a little off. But it's with the, the shield of faith that we can push back on it and extinguish them. This helmet of salvation, once again, it's a defensive slash protection armament. And I think about this when I think about when I read that. Well, even if I die today, even if I don't make it out of this synagogue today, I'm still saved. I still have salvation. What kind of comfort does that bring to an individual? That if today is my last day on this earth, I'm not saying it is, I'm not open for that. Even if it is, I'm still saved. The enemy can't take that away from me. It goes on and talks about the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's both a defensive and an offensive weapon. But one thing regarding the offense is that we're not to go on the offense against people with Scripture. We don't use Scripture to beat people over the head, to destroy people. We present the Word in a kind and loving and uh, in uh, well thought out manner as we can to help people, to bring them to the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to help people have a more accurate understanding of this word. But we go on the offensive against evil, against evil words, concepts, teachings, the systems of this world. Even the Lord Jesus Christ, um, when he was tempted of the devil, you remember in the the record uh, before he began his public ministry, he says he was tempted 40 days in the desert. He spent 40 days and didn't eat. 
He came, it says the devil came and tempted him. And every temptation, he used the word. He actually quoted scripture back at him. So, and that was a defensive use. So, I'm going to take a look at another part of scripture here in this, back in Psalms. Psalm 18. Verse 34 says, He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand supported me and your gentleness made me great. You gave, my, you gave a wide place for my steps under me and my feet did not slip. I pursued my enemies and overtook them and did not turn back till they were consumed. I thrust them through so that, so that they were not able to rise. They fell under my feet. For you equipped me for strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me. And those who hated me, I destroyed. Well, in this, this time this was written, this was referring to an actual physical enemy, David. David was a man of war. He, uh, he was acquainted with battle with defeating, killing an enemy, a literal enemy. But I put it to you, um, think about this in light of the armor of God, how we can defeat a spiritual enemy, that God can work in and with us to defeat our enemy, to, to cause them to be ashamed. And that's literally what we have available to us. God Almighty desires for us to be successful in this spiritual battle, this spiritual competition that we face day after day in this life. And he can and will work with you. It doesn't matter if you're brand new to this or if you've done it for a hundred years. God Almighty knows how to work with you and in you to help you be successful in this. Back in Ephesians, Verse 18 it says, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. See, prayer is an essential and an integral part of this process. You cannot get away from that. God tells us in this scripture here that we are to pray. There's all different kinds of prayers, including by way of the Spirit that God has given us. But we lift in prayer to God so that we can be successful in this spiritual competition that we find ourselves in. I'm going to close out in Psalms. And I thought about the result. What's it like for the individual that stands? This is actually one of my favorite places in the Word. <clears throat> Psalm 1. Blessed is the man or woman who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his, or her, delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law, God's law, that person meditates day and night. And that person will be like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that that person does, prosperity. What a great result when we stand 
We refuse to back away from these truths that we know. God Almighty desires for his people to stand firm in the face of evil, in the face of temptation, and the challenges of life. We, first individually, but then collectively, God has called us to a body. We are not called to stand as a whole bunch of individuals. We're called to stand as a body. And we collectively are commanded to stand, and the Father has fully equipped and enabled us to do so in Christ. Three things he's given us to stand. I'm sure more, but these three things came to mind. One, he's given us his word. With his word, we can know know and understand his heart for us. He's given us his spirit. With his spirit, we can hear from him. And we can be inspired by him. And he's given us a family of brothers and sisters to stand with, shoulder to shoulder, forming a line, a wall. A line of resistance that is Team Christ. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for these truths that you give us. Father, we thank you for how you've enabled us to be strong, to be bold, to be mighty in this day and time. We thank you, Father, you've given us a body of believers to stand with, that we can collectively move out, that we could withstand, that we could thwart the designs of our enemy, that we can back him off, we can back off that darkness, that we can emanate light in our day and time. And this light can attract people. They can come and see what we already know. So Father, we thank you for victories that you bring to pass in our life as we do these things. We thank you for your great love and your great tenderness toward us in the name of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening to the Compass Christian Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. For more information on how we are striving to follow Jesus together here in Louisville, Kentucky, check out our website, compasslou.org, where you can subscribe to our newsletter and view additional resources.